Have you ever had a moment that shattered your best laid plans? Yep, shit happens. You're lost and not sure how to pick up the pieces. Discover a higher level of results when you join the Fab Five as we take you on a weekly adventure shifting you beyond your best plan. We reveal how to elevate your mind, body, and spirit and create a harmonious life. The Fab Five is passionate about making the world a better place. Through sharing our gifts, talents, and stories, you'll obtain the resources, strategies, and tools you need on your journey of healing and growth. Step into your authentic self, moving beyond your best plan. Welcome back to Beyond Your Best Plan. I'm Kathleen. I'm here with my soul sisters, Catherine, Whitney, and Claudette. We're missing Sarah today, and she will be back soon. Today, our topic is feeling sorry for someone, and what does that do to them or against them? It's Wayne Dyer, Dr. Wayne Dyer, who actually said, we can't feel bad enough to make anybody else's life better. And what he is referring to is the energy in which we show up is the energy in which other people receive our presence. (laughs) And the reason why that's so important is when other people are, we have a judgment around other people's circumstances and that creates pity and um, guilt for your, um, your prosperity or your situation. It creates worry for other people and it creates sadness in the world. And the reason why it's so important to have some compassion for people is because that's it's altruism. It's it's donating and volunteering for people who are not as a, as fortunate as you. However, when you show up with pity and judgment, that creates the energy of which they're not worthy of receiving your kindness and your generosity. And so we're here today to talk about how you can show up for other people who we believe are in a, in a worse off situation than us, because there are many countries that don't have what we have, and they're much happier in certain areas of their life. And we, we Americans, we are constantly striving and driving to have more to do, more to be more, where others are really very connected with their soul and their purpose and their, their families. And they have, they don't have as much as we do materially, but they have a lot more emotionally. So when you see a homeless person on the street or when you see a family who's driving in a car that is very old and run down, what is the first thought that runs through your head? Is it pity? Is it guilt that you're better off? And how is it that you want to respond in the future to be able to spread your wealth and good fortune versus causing more pain and sorrow in their life? So, Catherine, you you are quick to jump on this one. So go ahead. It's so funny. And this happens all the time with us, Kathleen. But one of my first visions in my mind around this was homeless, a homeless person. Because I have, I will, it will make me cry, like literally. And all of the feelings that you said from just like sympathy and pity and even guilt, I have literally given um, a homeless person money and then wept thinking about how I am different than them. Why did I end up 
here and they're there and, or, or, you know, it's wild. Like, and I'm like getting emotional just thinking about it. It's just this deep, there's something there around homeless people where it's like this sympathy, this pity. Like I want to like, like raise them up and like, like, how do I help them like see a brighter future for themselves? And like, there's so much amazing opportunity. And then I'll go to like, like, what's the difference between me and them? It's so interesting. I just wanted to share like, cause that was like one of the first thoughts, like, what is that about? It is one of the most natural things to do, right? You know, when someone is on a street corner holding a sign playing, saying, please, food, whatever the sign says, family needing housing, you know, whatever it is, it's not about not holding compassion and caring about their situation. It's about how you show up in your response, because truly the energy in which you show up, if you're showing up in pity, they feel that. Whether you know it or not, or they know it or not, they feel that, which continues to put them in that downward spiral of I'm not good enough. I don't deserve this. I'm a charity case for people. It continues. And I've learned this from Wayne Dyer and Louise Hay and some of my other teachers. Like I know today that when I see a homeless person on the street or someone who has less than I do, I hold them in compassion and love. So when I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, I have so much love for you. I know you can do this. I know that if you're surviving on the streets and you're eating and you're living in the way that you are, then there's something that's working for you for that. There's something for you that is working for you in this particular situation. It's not the way I would want to live. However, who am I to judge how they're living? Who am I to judge whether they hit a rough spot or not. You know, there are enough services in this country that there's enough resources in this country that if we're there to help with compassion and love in our heart and ask what they need, then they receive that in the way that they deserve to receive that. And I have a good friend Forrest Willett, who I met during the Canfield training, and he has a ton of compassion and love for all walks of life. And he was uh, traveling one one time and he was in a, a city where there was this homeless man that hadn't eaten. He was on the streets. And he's so Forrest's like, why don't you come with me? Why don't you spend some time with me and let's go get you some breakfast. So they go and get some pancakes and, you know, like his fingers. He's so used to eating with his fingers, the homeless man, that he was eating pancakes with syrup all over it with his fingers, even though there were tools and utensils there. And all he said, so so Forrest asked him what he needed. And I'm paraphrasing, so who knows if this is the total truth or not. This is my truth. And that, that he was all about... All I need is someone to listen. And it brought tears to his eyes, the homeless person, and said, spending time with you was what I needed. And he gave Forrest a hug and Forrest, you know, kind of joked later and said, I had to go home and wash my jacket because it was sticky, but it was okay because all he needed was a little kindness and love and pure love from his heart, not pity and judgment. So I'm curious if anybody else has any other thoughts or stories or, you know, encouragement on how they can, um, people can show up differently when they see someone who doesn't have or doesn't look like you. 
Go ahead, Whitney. I'm I'm going to um, share a story sort of piggybacking on what you said, but I'm not going to leave this only about homeless. It, it is, or, or housing challenged or whatever the, the current terminology is for that. I don't want to leave it there because I think your subject was, or the way you set this up was, is bigger than that. But I do want to speak to that. And so a couple of years ago, we served in the church. It's called Winter Sanctuary. A number of the churches in the area that I live in got together and they rotated providing housing for those without homes over the holiday season when it's particularly cold. And, and here in Sacramento, it's, it's not, we're not in a snow. You know, it's not super cold here, but it's cold enough. And when it's raining and and it's cold, it's it's miserable whether you have a home or not. Uh, so we were serving at Winter Sanctuary and my particular church. I don't know what happened in the other churches, but I imagine similar things. We provided meals. Um, so they would come in in the evening, they would be provided meals and at night, snacks, and then breakfast in the morning, and then they would go during the day and do whatever it is they do, and then they would come back in the evening. So they gathered at some particular location, they were brought in on buses, we served them with meals, provided um, haircuts and opportunities to take showers and mostly men because a lot of the shelters take care of women and their children, right? So there are, um, there's infrastructure for women and children that are not available as readily for men for whatever those reasons are. So mostly men, but some women, no children, tended to come to Winter Sanctuary, but there might be a few. And then there would play a a movie. And we so we would go stay a few hours and then leave. And and then they would spend the night at the facility at the church. And one particular evening, and this happened several times, but one particular evening, very similar situation to what you just talked about with your friend, just sitting down at the table while while they're eating and having a conversation. And what I understood, you know, as we were talking was simply that they want to be heard, right? And they were thanking me for listening to their life story, Right. And at the same time, I'm sitting there and I'm going, no, thank you for sharing, because it's something that helps me to understand what you're going through in a way that I on my in my natural self don't understand. Right. Because I can come to or have come to things with some preconceived notions, some some and some judgment and some pity, quite frankly, for people who find themselves in situations that are that are challenging. And then I look at my own life and I say, you know, I, there are probably people who look at my life and have some pity for me. And I have been in situations where 
quite frankly, that, that, that probably made sense for people. I have been homeless at a point, but it was, it was not to the point of living on the street. I found a way, you know, and ultimately it came down to me basically putting my ego aside and then humbling myself with my family, right? To say, I need help. And I'm not at all saying that that's the case for each and every person. I don't know every person's situation, but it opened my eyes to looking at the the problem in a different way. And then I want to close with this story on the homeless piece. And then I sort of want to shift somewhere else. I was at a, um, when I was a lobbyist, I was leaving our year or biennial. So every other year, lobbyists in California are required to go through ethics training. And it was like the most dreaded two hours every other year of my lobby career. I'm sorry that, you know, we record on Zoom and there's an ability to have these private chats and someone said it didn't work. The ethics training didn't work. I know doubly because I'm a lawyer and a lobbyist. Right. So the ethics didn't work twice as much with me. I got it. Thank you very much. So I'm leaving ethics training. It is generally in the winter time that we are doing it somewhere between November and like March, you can take your course for the, the two-year period. So it, it was raining. It was cold. I'm leaving. I'm like, it's like walking away going, oh, my God, that, what a waste of two hours. It's basically the same presentation they've done the two years before that and the two years before that. So I'm walking sort of in my own head. It's raining. And this young man stops me. And asked me if I had something that I could give him. He was hungry. And I sort of, I was, I was like, hey, I don't have anything. And I just sort of kept walking. And then something stopped me. I was like maybe five steps beyond him. And something just stopped me on my tracks. And it was like, look at him as a person. And I turned around. And so... I did look at him as a person, but in that moment, I saw my son and he was about the same age my son was when he passed away. It was like this kid was 17 or 18, um, young black man, uh, tall, thin. He didn't necessarily look like my son, but he, there was something about him that um, the physicality that was very similar And I actually stopped to have a conversation with him to find out why he was here. Why was he begging? He and his sister had come to Sacramento for a job. And when they got here, the job turned out not to be what it was purported to be. And I think this is something that happens a lot for kids. And we used to have kids that would come and knock on the door selling stuff. They used to round these kids up to do this thing and then sort of leave them literally in the cold. And so we had a conversation. I gave him some money. Uh, We exchanged phone numbers, you know, because I, I took the time to find out 
his story and what was going on with him. And as I walked away, I was like, what can I do that would be meaningful for him? And so I made phone calls and it was winter sanctuary time of the year. And so I made some phone calls to see how I could get him in a winter sanctuary to give him and his sister an opportunity to sort of get on their feet and move forward with this plan that they had. And the more I did that, the less I felt pity for him and more I felt a an actual joy and a opportunity to use the blessings in my life to bless someone else. And it's it's something that I pray about often, which is to help me to see one, to see others through your eyes. All right. I'm asking God to help me see others with his eyes because my natural eyes are judgmental and full of pity and condemnation. But in the power and spirit of my creator, when I look at people differently, then I, I want to say, how can I be a blessing, you know, with what you bless me with? It's not just money, but time and the talents that I have, the connections and those things. And so as I did that, it just reinforced the importance of treating people like people. If I hadn't known him, and he had been someone in my life who presented the same way, I would have done the same thing, right? And so mm-hmm. this is my segue, which is, it's just about doing what you can for people with the gifts that you've been given. And th- there's a piece of me that says, I cannot do more for people than they're willing to do for themselves. So there is a has to be a willingness to ask for help, to be open to help and problem solve creatively. And the young man and I, we took the time to talk through, you know, what it is that I could do that would be of help to him and what he was willing to do to be of help to him because it didn't matter. I could have made a thousand phone calls if he wasn't going to follow through it wasn't going to happen. And it's the same thing with people in my family that I've had these interactions with my clients, friends, and others. And so it has to start with, I think, letting go of the judgment about what people should or shouldn't do, how they should or shouldn't be living their lives, and then being willing to be open to to help to create solutions. I won't say solve problems, but to create solutions and working sort of in partnership to make that happen, not from a place of pity, but a place or guilt, but a place for, from a place of, I have these tools and resources available to me. This is, this is what I have to offer. How can this be of value to you, let's work together to make that happen. What's what's so beautiful about that entire story, Whitney, is that you, when you saw him as another person, as your son, you created the love and compassion that is there all along, and you eliminated the expansion of suffering. 
whether you're homeless or whether you're in a different situation, it is really about how you show up is what you said. And it takes out the implicit superiority and the implicit bias, you know, as women, as black or brown people, I'm not either. However, I am a woman. I am a woman. (laughs) And I do know what it's like to be a a woman with less means than others as a child, you know, that I, I definitely understand that. And, you know, when we take out the implicit superiority, and I think that's really what we're talking about is that it's implicit. It's not like we want to look down on other people. It is about the implicitness of, well, I'm better off. So I should hold pity for them. But it really removes that. And when you have the ability to network and use your skills and expertise, it just was a beautiful story because this goes beyond homelessness. As you said, it goes far and wide for white men who are without a job in middle age or who is going through a divorce or whatever. It is far and wide. It is everything. So it's really about stepping back and checking your implicit bias, your implicit superiority and treating people as if they are you. Absolutely. You know, I, I want to say, just add this last piece. One of the things that occurred to me in that moment was that if that had been my son, what I would want someone to do for him, how I would want someone to see him, right, as a person, okay. not as, you know, something to step over on, on the street. And yeah. That is obviously not a situation that my son would have found himself in, but I I just sort of projected if this had been him, how would I want someone to treat him? And so it was like, you can't go through life treating people in a way that you don't want to be treated or the people that you love are treated. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Oh my I bet God. you were ready. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this is like so good. I think it's about judgment versus blessing. And we talk about beliefs and we talk about manifestation and we talk about all this stuff, but do we really believe it? Your thoughts literally go out and affect the very atoms of existence. You are that powerful. You were made in the image of the creator. I'm not going to get into an argument with you on who the creator is because that would be dumb. Okay, let's not go there. I'm just going to be honest. But the creator is the creator. And there is a power that science studies. And this power holds everything together. It seems to be this higher intelligence. We call it God. So for the sake of this comment, we're going to say God. And so there's a universal law. Do unto others as you would do unto yourself. Okay, And the reason for that is we are all one. We are all part of this creator of God. And so I learned years ago because I used to work, um, I used to be a pastor and I used to work with homeless people. And, And this isn't just about homeless. I know we've talked about it. And I got exhausted trying to help the homeless people. I just, because I was trying to help within just my own self. And what I learned in the process was only help according to how you're guided to. 
So as Whitney said, she walked past something, spoke to her, turned around, see him as a person. She followed the guidance and did what she was supposed to do. This whole world is a beautiful puzzle of everyone doing as guide. If we all do as guided, everything will fit together beautifully. And then secondly, because we can manifest. And I think Kathleen mentioned this in the beginning, you know, we are our beliefs, right? Like what we believe, what we do. Your awareness that you cast on someone, that's so you could be in judgment and go, oh my God, they need to get a job or they're homeless or they're this because of that or they're this. Or you can just drop the judgment because there's a universal law with that saying, if you judge that same way that you judge comes back to you, you get judged in that same way. So when I discovered that, I was like, I got to stop judging. And if I, so let's use an example of someone who's always unemployed, right? Let's just use that example. If you know of somebody that they're always like, oh, I'm looking for a job. I'm looking, and they're always asking for money or they're in that situation. Instead of judging them as they're not seriously looking, they're always this way and casting your awareness, you're literally transferring your power into their lower state of being and reinforcing it. If you look at them, though, and you go, I'm going to use my imagination lovingly on behalf of someone else, and you just begin to see them in a job and stabilized and happy to the highest desire of their heart, and that is all you really start to pay attention to, you are now casting your awareness onto a higher level of a state of being, and it will directly affect them subconsciously in a positive way. So my thing is, I'm not going to support this lower ass thinking. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to reinforce it. I'm not... But at the same time, if I see a homeless person, if I see some, I will see the best for them. I will see them coming out of where they are, stabilized, productive, you know, the highest desire of their heart. And if I am led, I always have $5 bills. I always have $5 bills in my purse. And if I'm led, I'll give them a five, sometimes a 10. If I'm led, if I'm not led to give them money, I won't. But I always see them not in the same situation, out of being homeless, or the person that doesn't have a job, they have a job, or the person that's sick, I see them healthy. So we are powerful. And so let's cast our awareness on the good things. Whatsoever you think, think upon the good things. And start to test this with a friend who's always complaining about arguing with a husband or a boyfriend. Start to test it and start to just see them getting along, see them rising out of that and coming back to you going, you know what? We haven't argued. Start a friend that could be depressed, see them happy. Start testing this so you can realize the power that you are because it's your birthright because you were made in the image of the creator. I love that so much. I love inspired action versus acting out of some lower vibrational emotion like guilt or pity, you know, feeling bad for somebody. We're talking about feeling sorry for people. And I will tell you, I have so much experience with this from how I used to be like, it was almost like this, the word is like codependence that kind of pops into me. And it was like, like feeling like sorry for people and acting out 
that space, which created enablement, enabling them, whether, you know, there was a, a drug addiction or not like relationships or that weren't serving them or, you know, money, as you just mentioned, Claudette, from not working and just being okay with taking the handout, like all these things and like feeling sorry. And then like, I'm enabling this person. And then I'm also in these like toxic relationships. I stayed in my intimate relationships often way too long because of the cycle of like feeling sorry, like family members too, like feeling sorry and like acting out of that place and then feeling depleted myself. And also like, as I'm digging in and just really being true here, like this, like, like if you're expecting something in return, even if it's just like love and connection, it's wrong. Like it, like when you are helping somebody truly from your heart in an inspired action place, there is no, I need anything in return. It's this is how I'm showing up for you. And I've gotten on planes for people where I've gone and they're going through an extremely hard time, death in a family relationship loss. And we just hung out for a couple of days and it was beautiful. And then there's other times where I've done that in more of a place of like feeling sorry and guilt and pity that this is what I should be doing. And it was like draining and depleting and enabling. So it's like, you know, and I'm so much more aware around this and I can truly say the codependency is like gone and it feels amazing, but it was a real thing in my life for a long time. And so it's like this shift of, you know, inspired and like no strings attached and just like, I'm there because I want to support you in your highest versus like an obligation or a should. I love that, Catherine. You made such a good point about releasing expectations and take inspired action. I just love, love all of that. And everything that, that Catherine and Claudette and Whitney uh, expressed, you know, it really comes back to show up with love and compassion act out of love and compassion, spend time with the people that are there. And remember, we're not just talking about homeless. We're not talking about the color of someone's skin. We're also talking about those who have mental wellness challenges, those who are experiencing some masking behaviors. It's, it's about showing up for them the best way that you can. And if you don't know how to show up, ask them what they need and develop the plan that that would be helpful for both of you out of pure compassion and love. So with that, we're going to close this particular podcast. There's a book called Faces of Mental Illness that's launched on December 6th or 7th. I don't know. It's talking a lot about what we're talking about here on how mental wellness can show up in many ways and how the implicit bias and um, superiority comes into place and about how you can move through that. So if you find yourself in, in challenging spaces, the first place it starts is with you. It starts with you to hold yourself in love and compassion and ask yourself, what is it that I need right now? What is it that, that would be serving me in my highest and best? And then portray that into the world. So uh, we hope that you enjoyed this section, this podcast. Please don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast. 
write a review, go to our Facebook page, um, Beyond Your Best Plan, and like that, and and share with us your comments. Share with us what you think and, and how you show up for others as well as for yourself. Take care. The Fab Five thanks you for joining us today as we assist you in moving beyond your best plans. We just ask that this week you find one way to step into your authentic self. Listen, review, and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. You can find us at beyondyourbestplan.com. See you on the other side of your best plan.